Uh, today, if you've got a Bible, um, or there's one in your pew in front of you, which there is, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, uh, looking at verse uh, 35 and going through 217. We're going to read all that together uh, this morning at some point in time. And so if you've got a Bible and you're there, that'll just help you be prepared uh, and ready. Uh, but we're continuing in our series of loving, uh, uh, which which fits our theme of loving the broken through compassion, and our series is Love Builds. Uh, today we're talking about how love builds wholeness. Uh, and let's just talk about what, what, do I, what do I mean by that? What are we trying to get at with this? Uh, when we talk about loving the broken, a lot of times we'll focus on one piece of brokenness. So if we're doing a, a soup kitchen our, the thing we're focusing on is giving food to people. And so we're feeding hungry people. Now, there may be a whole host of other things that are going on inside of that person. And they may have a whole host of other needs besides just getting a meal for that moment. Like, where's their next meal going to come from? And why is it that they can't provide their own meals? And, and there's a whole host of things that go there. What, what type of relational and, and emotional brokenness do they have? Because now they have come to this point where they're here inside of the soup kitchen. And, and there's a whole host of things that, that I think kind of come along with that. And it's, it's sort of our tendency to say, well, we're going to deal with this one piece. We're going to deal with this one problem. We're going to deal with this one portion of a person. But as we look at Christ's ministry and really what we're called to, I think we need to open up our mind and, and our, our definition of loving people and realize that we're trying to love people, broken people, into wholeness which encompasses everything about them, uh, an emotional piece, uh, a skills piece, perhaps, uh, a relational portion, a physical portion. All of those things are things that in Christ's earthly ministry, Christ was concerned about, and Christ ministered to all of those needs. And we see that no more uh, clearly than we do here in this first chapter of Mark. <clears throat> Mark uh, is a straight, down-to-business kind of guy. And in the Gospel of Mark, we don't have time for cute baby stories. He doesn't pause to show us the baby pictures of Jesus. He just says, all right, John the Baptist came preaching, and then Jesus was baptized, and boom, here we go, fasten your seatbelts. And one of the number one words Mark uses above all the other Gospels is the word immediately. Um, you sort of get this picture that Jesus is kind of running around in the Gospel of Mark, because immediately Jesus went and did this. And, and here at the start of his ministry, we see that Jesus' ministry is off to a big, big start. He's just gotten baptized. He's just returned from the temptation. And now he's healing people in Capernaum. His healing ministry is so successful that it, it appears for a moment that Jesus is going to set up a clinic there sort of in Capernaum, sort of Jesus and the Twelve Limited Liability Partnership. And that's, you know, it's Jesus, Simon, Levi, and, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, partners at healing. And that's what they're going to do because they've, it's just wildly successful. Uh, but one morning, the disciples come to find Jesus and he's gone. And it's time to open up the shop. And Jesus tells him, he says, you know, hey, listen, it's time that we go. We've got to go so I can proclaim the message. And you would expect after that kind of statement, Jesus says, I got to go to proclaim. You'd expect it to be followed by a bunch of teaching, wouldn't you? If Jesus is leaving a healing ministry, then he's going to go proclaim. But then all of a sudden it's followed by three healing stories. So what is it about? What's the deal? What's going on here? I think as we look a little more closely at these stories, we'll see that Jesus 
is defining his ministry and defining the way that he's going to heal people uh, as a result of that and how he's going to heal the whole person and not just one part. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he says, Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went through Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, Jesus here, he wants to have his love build wholeness in all people. Uh, The wholeness speaks to the healing of of both soul and body, of both emotion and thought, and, and to heal tormented hearts and tormented minds and tormented bodies and tormented souls. And so he goes to heal all of those things. He proclaims the message of the kingdom of God about how for eternity people can find a saving grace and relationship inside of him and enter into that relationship. But not just that, that right now they can experience some level of peace through his ministry. That, that's loving the whole person. But he, he doesn't want to just do that for a select few. It's clear he wants to do that for everybody. You know, Capernaum, he probably could have stayed there. I'm sure that in Capernaum, there were more people in Capernaum that he had not healed. I'm sure that in Capernaum, he had only healed a minority of the folks there. I'm sure that in Capernaum, there were still funerals going on, and he had not raised all of the dead. I'm sure that in Capernaum, there were still demon-possessed people. And so it would have been tempting for him to say, you know what, why should I go anywhere else when there's, the need is so great, even right here? We're just going to stay, and we're just going to minister to all the folks here in Capernaum. And only after Capernaum is completely healed, then we're going to move on to someplace else. You know, I think that's sort of our tendency. You know, we say, you know, why why do we have to think about overseas? Why do we have to think about neighboring areas when there's so much need already here in Bowling Green? Well, what if Christ had stayed in Capernaum and then all of his disciples had stayed in Capernaum? I dare say we wouldn't be here. Or or what if the disciples, after Jesus said, you know, you're going to go into all the world, but stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, and then you'll be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. What if the disciples had said, hey, listen, game plan changed a little bit. We're going to move on to Judea once Jerusalem's done. But we're not going to leave Jerusalem until every person in Jerusalem is a Christian. Let me tell you, we'd still be waiting and this church wouldn't exist. That's the reality of it. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to deliver healing and wholeness and hope that that wholeness spreads. But I've got to go other places too. Next week, we're going to talk more at length about going uh, because that's, what we're ta- that's our focus next week. Uh, but today, I want to kind of plant that seed that love builds wholeness, not just in a select few, but in all people. And one of the ways that, that love builds wholeness is by engaging the whole person. Let's look at this next story here in Mark chapter uh, 1, verse 40. It says, a leper came to him begging him and kneeling he said to him if you choose you can make me clean moved with pity jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him i do choose be made clean immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean after warning him he sent him at once saying see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest And offer your cleansing, for your cleansing, what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer uh, go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country. And people came to him from every quarter. I love this story because Jesus chooses to heal him and he touches him. You know, Jesus, it's not like Jesus is working on his healing power. You know, later we know that Jesus... Uh, heals people from a distance. He heals the centurion's servant. He doesn't even go to the town. 
Uh, and it's not like Jesus is working up to that. At this point, Jesus is new. He's still trying to figure it out. And so he's got to touch you to heal you. Jesus can only heal in a 10-foot radius at this point in time. This is not the case. Jesus is capable of healing this man. He's capable of not touching this man and healing him. But Jesus does choose, and he chooses to touch him. Now, leprosy is one of those diseases, uh, if you've been in church a while, you know that you weren't supposed to touch these folks. Uh, they, they had this understanding that uh, leprosy, if you touch them, you somehow got it. And so you couldn't touch them. And they were supposed to live out in the, in the, the far remote regions. And anytime they came near people that didn't have leprosy, they had to say, I'm unclean. In other words, don't touch me. Take a wide berth around me. And so this man comes up to Jesus, which is a bold move to begin with. And he says, you know, it begs him. He says, I know that if you choose, you can heal me. And Christ chooses and he chooses to touch him. Now, now, there's something about this man. This man, as a leper, had lived in isolation. He lived in leper colonies. He'd lived by himself. He'd lived out in the wilderness. And this man was isolated, socially awkward. You know what I'm saying? He had been removed from society. And Christ chooses not to just heal his body, but by that very act of touching him, he shows to his disciples and everybody following him that this man is a man that can now be touched. This is a man that you can engage. This is a man that no longer has to live in isolation. That's also why he says, go to the priest. Show yourself and offer for cleansing what Moses commanded. You see, it's not that Jesus is saying, all right, the, the law is in effect. My sacrifice isn't going to be good enough for you. My healing isn't good enough. The priest has got to help me offer the sacrifice so that it's official. He says, no, I want you to go offer the sacrifice. Because until the priest proclaimed this man clean, this man was to be socially ostracized. The, the priest had said, you are unclean. And now it's the priest who proclaim him clean in the sense of society. And so Jesus says, listen, I've healed your body. I've shown you that you can be touched, but I want you to be restored to community. So go offer the sacrifice. Go offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded so that way you can be restored. You see, one of the things about dealing with sickness is, is the isolation. I don't know if you've ever been to the doctor where it appears the doctor is sort of afraid to touch you. You kind of go in, you're like, doctor, I got this weird thing right here. And he's like, yeah, hey, I'm going to get my binoculars out and look. I don't want to get close. My doctor for a while, I shouldn't talk about my doctor. My doctor for a while had a laptop he cruised around with, and he wouldn't even look at you. Like he'd come in, he'd look at the, he'd look at the laptop, and he'd be like, so, so your name, so this is your name. What's wrong? Okay. Clickety-clack, clickety-clack, you know, Facebook update. Really sick guy, LOL. My goodness, that rash looks terrible. Here's a picture. Um, you know, it's not looking at me, looking at the computer. Somebody, I think, told him, you've you got to look at people. You've got to look at the people that are coming in the office because now, now he's gotten rid of the laptop. But, but, but you, you feel that when you feel, you don't feel like a person. You know what I mean? You feel like a disease. You feel like a, a condition, a syndrome. You know, you feel like somebody that's going to pay you because they've got insurance. I mean, you've got all of these things that are kind of like you start feeling like something other than a human being. And Jesus could have done all of those things. Been like, hey, yeah, you got leprosy. Stay over there. You're healed. Now, now please go away. He, he says, I touch you. I bring you out of isolation. I bring you into community. I bring you to a place of healing. That's what Christ did. He didn't want to just heal the sickness. He wants to heal the whole person. You see, love heals both the soul and the body. Love heals the soul and the body. You know, in the, the, the turn of the last century, the early, the, the, art, the early church, it's not that early, it's only like 100 years ago. The, the church at that time was divided uh, along a very tight margin. They, they, 
you had the liberals and the fundamentalists and, and the liberals said, you know what the church needs to be doing is healing people, feeding people, caring for people, making sure they've got jobs and opportunity. And the fundamentalist group largely said, you know, that's not our job. What we're supposed to do is heal people's souls and call them to a place of salvation. And so they kind of had this division, this artificially created division. Because one said the mission of the church is to heal the body. The other group said, no, the mission of the church is to heal the soul. And the truth is that they're both the mission of the church. They're both the mission of Christ. And so lately we've seen a, a, a recapturing of that idea. But the truth of the matter is it's been there all along. Uh, it's right here in Mark chapter 2. We see healing of both soul and body. Now let's look at this text. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug it through, they lay down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I, I know we've thought about this before, but if you've, if you've dug through the roof to have a man be healed and walk again, and all Jesus offers is the forgiveness of sins... You're happy about that on one level. But then on the other level, you know, you gave it your all bringing him there. Who's going to carry him back at this point? Um, and Jesus decides that there's something more that needs to be done. And so verse 5, verse 6, it says, Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? Well, the answer, of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because how do we know if his sins really are forgiven? It's not like he's got a sign on his forehead or there's a meter that we can put over him and say his sins are, are gone now. We don't know that. Jesus says, so I can give you a sign, in other words. Um, Verse 11, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. You see, church, one of the problems of saying we're just going to offer salvation or forgiveness of sins is that we don't have really anything that sort of verifies that. I hate to, to sound skeptical, and I hate to sound, you know, ultra pragmatic but the truth of the matter is we say we've got hope for you for eternity but we can't do anything for you right now that doesn't really give us a lot of hope for tomorrow if god's love is good for tomorrow and after i die why is god's love not good for me at this present moment why can god's love help me later but not now and christ understood that and he said listen so that way you know that your sins are forgiven and so that you know you have hope for eternity let me show you my love in action as i heal not just your soul but your body notice he does start with the soul he says listen that is your greatest need and that's all of our greatest needs is to have our sins forgiven and, and have eternity uh, secured for us with christ but as a believing community we need to remember that christ's work and miracles and our work uh, they're signs that's what John describes him. He says, you know, Christ did this sign. What's it a sign? It's a sign of God's love and power and presence. And as we say, listen, you need to receive Christ to receive healing for your soul, that needs to be accompanied by something that says, listen, Christ's love is bringing you healing right now in your present situation. It doesn't mean that we judge 
uh, our outreach. It doesn't mean that we judge our works of compassion based on who responds to Christ's love or not. As we saw last week, Christ healed people that didn't come to Him. Christ healed people that rejected Him, that turned Him into the authorities even. But, but we love them as a sign that points towards Christ's love. You know, it, it's, it's like any sign. If you think about when you drive, signs really don't keep you to anything. You know, a red light does not stop me from driving through the intersection. Most of the time it does. <laughs> Most of the time it does. Even more frequently are the cars that are stopped at the red light that are in front of me that stop me from going through the intersection because you can only go as fast as the car in front of you. That's really a, a, that's a key lesson for you people learning to drive. You can only go as fast as the car in front of you. Um, and you should give them a little bit of space as well. Probably more than I give. But... But signs don't stop you. There's, there's these two great lanes going on to I-65, and they have these big signs that say, Do not enter. I mean, they look like perfectly great lanes to enter and drive down. They're, they're unoccupied. They're wide. They're very comfortable to drive your car down. But if you go down the do not enter lanes on I-65, you end up in a world of hurt. You know, this is the problem. And it's the same thing true with, with the love that we express, the compassion that we have. It is a sign. It says this love comes from God. It is given for the glory of God. This sign points to a place that will, will love you for eternity. If you disregard that sign, it will take you to a place of brokenness. That's what our compassionate love is to do. Love heals what it touches, and it heals relationships and emotions, people, sickness, and souls for eternity. And church, let us not forget that the love of presence is so vitally important. Because love even restores those who have wandered from us. This last healing story is maybe not healing in the sense that you think of, but it's a story where love restores the lost and calls them back. Uh, verse 13 says this, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. You see, church, what Jesus is saying is there is a sickness in your soul, and it's called sin. And I have come to heal that. I have come to restore that. Now, obviously, Jesus could have said, Levi, your sins are forgiven. He's already said that before, but that's not enough. Jesus says, I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to restore you to community. I'm going to eat with you in front of the scribes and in front of the Pharisees and in front of the Sadducees and the priests. I'm going to eat with you in front of all those people. So that way they know that God has called you back, that God is restoring you. I've come to heal soul and body and relationship to return you, Levi, who you have rejected your countrymen, and your countrymen in return have rejected you, I have come to call you back to relationship with them. Church, it's love that builds that kind of wholeness. It's not just health. I mean, I can be physically fit, and my soul is a train wreck on the inside. I can look great on the outside and be in perfect working order in my body, but my relationships are a mess. 
Church, love is not content to say, I'm going to fix this piece or that piece. Love says, I'm going to love all of you back into wholeness. I want to kind of wrap up our time with a, with a story about that. This comes out of a Central Christian Church there in Las Vegas. Uh, uh, Judd Wilhite is the pastor out there. And he tells a story about a guy by the name of Cody Huff. Cody Huff was a professional bass pro fisher. Didn't, didn't really understand the extent of that. Apparently, it's quite lucrative. Um, this man had $600,000 in savings, uh, a big house. Um, he had been featured on ESPN, uh, probably ESPN like 9 or 10, um, you know, like 2 in the morning. Um, and yet he had a big problem with drugs. And he smoked up literally all of his $600,000 worth of savings. He smoked up his house. He smoked up his Harley. He smoked up his new boat. And he ended up being homeless on the street with a crack addiction that he just could not shake. Um, but God gets a hold of him. And he gets a hold of him through um, a greeter, just a greeter at Central Christian Church. Now, like we talked about last week, one of the things about working uh, you know, with the homeless and working with the Salvation Army is it's really easy to give a meal. It's really hard to engage these folks personally. And so... Cody was out in the park one day, and one of the, the folks in the homeless ministry was just handing out sandwiches and gave Cody a sandwich. And it, Cody says that he smelled so bad that other homeless men were telling him that he needed to go take a bath. And that's, that's bad, folks. And so he'd heard from this peop, these people handing out sandwiches that if he went to the church, he could get himself a free shower. And so he shows up to the church, and Michelle who had been giving out sandwiches, but who was just greeting that morning, said, Hey, Cody, I'm glad you're here. And in his words, he says, And she looked at me and said, Cody, you need a hug. And I said, Honey, you don't want to touch me because I haven't had a shower in three months. But if Michelle heard me, she didn't seem to care. She walked up and she looked in my eyes and she gave me a big hug and told me that Jesus loved me. And in that split second, I was somebody. She remembered my name. That was the point where I knew that God was alive in this world. Over the next several weeks, Cody's life began to be restored. He gave his life to Christ. He started leading a Bible study in the park for other homeless people. That was over three years ago, Judd says. Now he's married and he and his wife serve faithfully in our homeless ministry every weekend. He has his own business. From ashes, God raised him up to use him as an instrument. But his involvement in ministry all started with a warm embrace from one of the church's greeters. See, church, that's what we need to start to capture is that as we love the broken through wholeness, it's not just our job to give a sandwich. It's not just our job to give a bowl. It's not just our job to feed or to greet. It's our job to love people into the wholeness that Christ has for them. In church this morning, uh, we know that Christ is offering that wholeness to every single one of us. And as we come to this time of decision, Christ is saying, I, I've got wholeness for you today. And if that's a gift you need to receive, we'll invite you to come forward as we sing this song.